you like to take notes, grab a pen and an outline. If that doesn't help you, don't feel pressured to do that. That's just to bless you. That's not to make you feel like you have to do that. We've been talking for the last number of weeks about what it means to be an authentic Christian, actually the number of months through a couple of different series, of what does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus and be a disciple? What does it mean to say who he is in our life? The, the I am statements of Jesus. As, as Peter declared on his deathbed, he, he said, I've got to tell you the most important thing we talked about last week is, is that we are not following these cleverly invented stories. Jesus is alive. We've seen him with our own eyes. And the scriptures we hold, they're absolutely true. And so we've been talking about what it means to have that kind of faith and have a relationship with Jesus. But as I shared with you last week, if we just stay there, if it's just us in this room, and we just have this love fest with Jesus, and it never ever causes us to turn and go outside these walls, then I question, are we really in the presence of Jesus? Or are we being shaped by the presence of Jesus? We may be in his presence and may be so enamored with each other, so enamored with what we want and what we feel, that we... we Forget to allow him who desperately wants to shape us into the men and women he's called us to be. And ultimately, he will take every Mary and he will send them out to do Martha work. And if we don't get what Mary got first, the important thing to sit at his feet, we'll never ever begin to see what it means to serve out of the overflow of the Spirit. We'll serve in the flesh, but that's for another week. But as we look this morning, I want to start a new series entitled Outflow. We value here at Grace Point... Sharing Jesus out of the overflow of what the Holy Spirit has done in our life. And as we have this overflow of what Jesus is doing in our life, we can't help but speak about the things we've seen and heard. There will be an outflow from us to those around us. Statisticians tell us that even though there are more than 90% of Americans who say they believe in God, most people consider going to church or a religious gathering a drag. Boring, not worth their time. Surveys indicate that a majority, well over 55%, consistently choose, those who say they believe in God or some higher being, over 55% of them consistently choose to be somewhere other than in church or a religious gathering on Sunday morning. Why do you think that might be? Do we have bad breath? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and inspect that this morning and see if that's why, no, don't do that, we'll all get in trouble. See, whether or not you like church or I like church doesn't impact the fact that most people in our community today think that church is not for them. At least that's how they vote with their feet. Maybe it's just bad PR from churches. That could be some of it. There could be a host of reasons. Maybe it's our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family. Maybe they just don't know what they're missing. It, It may be part of it. But one thing is certain. A lot of people out there today are very happy that they are not in church today. I want you to watch this video clip with me as we continue to press into this topic. I've not found anybody to have anything that I've found worthwhile to convert to, so... I, I open initially, and I guess I get real disappointed. When people talk about God and all this, they, they, get, they do all this big excitement stuff, and it's like they want everybody to be just like them. But I can't find the meat in there that I need. There's pressure to join the group, and they start to be 
the opposite of what you would call, if you want to say Christian, they're, uh, you know, they become cruel and petty and, and it's more like becomes a conformity thing. But everybody's doing it. You got to go and be with everybody. It, it's a very groupy thing, I think. Oh, I've got to go to church and be at this meeting at 6 o'clock and that meeting at 7 o'clock and i got to go with everybody and be with everybody every minute. I personally would love somebody to have something that I found that worked. You know, it would be wonderful. Yeah, I've been waiting. <laughs> Unfortunately, it hasn't worked for me, which, which that's, for me makes me sad. I love this lady's honest, transparent discussion about what she sees in church. Whether it's true or not about the churches around her, her perception is that it, it's not for her. She would like to find some meaning, but she can't seem to find the meaning in what other people are talking about. It didn't appear that she was close to some topics of God, but yet she felt like that those around her would be cruel. Now, whether that's true or not, that's the perception that she has, and for her, that is her reality. Five top reasons that people around us list, we are told, of why they don't go to church. One is this. They would say, I am sure it's going to be boring, or some effect of that. Another, second place, was, I'm sure people will judge me. They won't welcome me or be friendly to me just where I'm at. They'll judge me. The third reason is, the church just wants something from me. They just want my money. They just want something from me. Fourth, this was interesting, I don't know what to do with my kids. I'm not quite sure where they'll go. I don't know how that's going to work. My, my kids don't do well in large groups. Fifth, the people I know who go to church, it doesn't seem to help them so much, so why should I go? Now notice with all these reasons that are commonly cited of why someone may not go to church, it's interesting to me that none of them have anything to do with God. You've heard me say it before. I would say it hundreds of times more. I don't believe we have a missing section or generation of people from church because church is boring. Though I think sometimes church could be boring and that's a crime. But I believe that we have people missing from church because they have not seen the power of God move in church. It's amazing the things that we sit through. It's amazing the things that we will press into when we see an almighty power. Something that is relevant in my life. Something that is real. Some message or meaning as this one lady talked about that she was sad that she didn't find see i believe that it's a rare thing for us to find someone who'll say i won't go to church because i don't believe in god now there's those people who'll say that and they're, they're there and they're real but most people many people they're open to learning about god and spiritual issues they just in their own perception don't feel welcome at church and they think it doesn't have anything to offer them whether that's right or not that's their feeling and friend i suggest to you today that is a problem for you and for me one that I believe that God is calling us to step into. I want you to imagine this story with me that you would be the main character of. I want you to imagine that you are going to your favorite restaurant. It may be a fast food restaurant. It may be a sit-down restaurant. It may be a diner. I don't know. It's your favorite restaurant. You walk into this place that advertises fresh ingredients. They advertise a great atmosphere. They advertise great service. And you just love going there. And you go there and you place your order. You walk up to the counter. You place your order. And you notice... It's kind of cold in here. So much so that it's not really refreshing. It's, it's freezing. You start to shiver. You become a little bit concerned of how you're going to enjoy your meal. And, and you look around and everybody else in the dining room, they have their coat on and they're cold as well. Eating their food, shivering. 
And so you just muster up some courage and you speak to the, the teenage girl there on the front line taking your order. And you say, hey, it's kind of kind of cold in here. Is there anything you can do about raising the temperature? And without skipping a beat, she responds to you and she says, oh, we like it that way. If we keep the dining room really cold, it makes it not so cold in the kitchen for us. You try to push down any sarcasm that you want to lash out against of how ignorant this sounds. And so you try to calmly respond to this girl and you say, well, you see all these people in the dining room? They're eating with their coats on. Couldn't you do anything to help them be more comfortable as, as they're trying to eat the, the meal that you prepared for them? And this teenage girl, she, she begins to speak louder and slower as if this person, you, me, is ignorant. And she says to you, we like it that way. Your frustration level peaks. Your favorite restaurant ceases to be your favorite restaurant. Now, it's one thing if you're talking about service or this inwardly focused idea that the kitchen staff is the one that sets the temperature for everybody else. But the sad thing is that for many, this is how in the church we could view those who are outside the church. We can be so accustomed to what it is that we want or what we would like to have or how comfortable it makes us that we forget for those that we are called to serve. We could take an attitude of Jesus who did a very radically different approach. In Mark 10, 45, and Jesus tells us he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. But Pastor Brady, I don't believe in us watering things down and just telling people what they want to hear. Good, neither do I. We're not going to do that because God hasn't called us to do that. But there's a difference between sometimes the gospel uh, appearing to be offensive to people because it does challenge us and us being unnecessarily offensive ourselves, and us making religion or faith or church or gathering about what we would like or what we're comfortable with or what temperature we would like the room to be. Jesus said, it's not about me. It's about those that I've been called to serve. To help us gain some traction in this question, this uh, this uh, topic today, I want to ask you this question. It's kind of weird, but I want to ask it anyway. What do you think the difference is between a funeral and a party? I told you it was weird. Let's think about it. If I would come grab that microphone and stick it in your face, which I won't, and you were to tell me the difference between a funeral and a party, what would you say? Well, a party, uh, I, I enjoy going to a party. I want to go. It, there's fun at a party. Uh, at a party, if I, if I don't go, I feel like I missed out on something. Everybody may be talking about a party. If I think about a funeral, whether it's out of love or duty, when I go to a funeral, either because I deeply love that deceased person or the family or out of duty for that deceased person or the family, it's something that I have to do. I, I, rarely can I think of, well, I put this on my calendar, this is what I'm really looking forward to. For most of the world, it's full of Grief alone. Now, for us who have hope in Christ, there is an aspect of celebration there. But what is the difference between a funeral and a party? Unfortunately, I think a lot of people in our culture think about church as a funeral. The good news is that when Jesus shows up at a funeral, he turns funerals into parties. That's the first note I want you to think about. Jesus turns funerals into parties. Well, that sounds absolutely ridiculous, Brady. Where'd you get that? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 7, 11 through 16 together. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. This was the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart 
went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. You see, I think one key takeaway for us in this is that every single person you lock eyes with, including the person you see when you stare into the mirror, all of us will face a tragedy or a loss somewhere on the road of life. If you've not had a tragedy or a loss, hold on, honey, it is coming soon. Life will bring pain, it will bring sorrow, it will bring loss. For you, it may be the loss of a loved one. It may be bad news about your health. It may be the end of a marriage. It may be a broken friendship. It may be a lifelong dream that is starting to sour. But this would be even more tragic if Jesus wasn't waiting to show up into that funeral, that death, that pain, that sorrow that you face, and to bring joy out in that time, just like he did for the widow at Nain. You see, the gospel of Jesus can only become good news to us when it connects with us in the midst of the bad news of our life. In other words, when our lives are going so well, when we're uninterrupted by hardship, suffering, and pain, it seems like we don't need a Savior. It seems like we don't need Jesus. But when everything starts to break loose and you begin to experience the pain and the things that are out of your control and the loss and the hurt is there, it's at that moment that you begin to become open to rely on the one who can love you with an everlasting love. Have you ever read the book, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Anybody read that book? Okay, yeah, smart people. Anybody watch the movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, that's my crowd. I watched the movie, not the book. That's good. I like the old one better. And I don't know if you remember in that, that movie, um, I don't know if it's in the book because I didn't read it, but uh, they come to the point where they get the everlasting gobstopper. You know what I'm talking about? Everlasting gobstopper. You watch the movie, right? Okay, you have to know what I'm talking about. It's that piece of candy that you can put in your mouth, and it never dissolves. It never loses its taste. It never goes away. I remember being as a child when I saw this movie, I thought that's the greatest thing in the world. If I could have an everlasting gobstopper, I could have candy with me the rest of my life. And that was carried into my adulthood. That's a whole other topic of that, that problem with that. But I, what would be better than having an everlasting gobstopper? When Jesus talks about his love for us, he defines it as an everlasting love, a love that will never lose flavor, a love that will never ever lose potency, a love that will never be outdated, a love that can never ever be taken out of context. It is a love that is for you, that is relevant and real all the time. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's when he brings life into this death scenario. Right in the midst of your pain, he wants to bring life and hope and love to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. Just like this woman, this widow, when she encountered Jesus, the words of Psalm 30 verse 11 had to have been true for her. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. Now I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about here for a second. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness depends on what happens. Joy is deeper than that. You can have God-given joy and still be in grief. You can have God-given joy and still be in pain. You can have God-given joy and still have everything around you go wrong. 
But friends, there is something very real and tangible about the joy of the Lord. The scripture says it is our strength. Why was there a party and celebration? Because the joy of the Lord turned her mourning into dancing. You say, well, if all my problems resurrected from the dead, I'd be happy too. Well, we looked at Peter last week. We look at the life of Paul. I consider it all joy. He didn't have everything rosy for him. He didn't get everything received on this side of eternity that was promised to him. But there was joy. See, God is about real joy and lots of it. The Bible frequently refers to the feasts of God, the parties of God, rejoicing of angels in heaven. At the very birth of Christ, the angels were celebrating and joy the good news. Scripture tells us that every time a woman or a man or a boy or a girl come to Jesus, all of heaven celebrates, joy explodes. You see, for the Christian, when we come to the end of our life, a funeral can be a celebration. What would you like your funeral to be? Would you like there to be joy? I like what the Bible smuggler Brother Andrew was credited with saying when he was asked what he wanted written on his tombstone. He replied, I hope it will say, here lies Brother Andrew. He accomplished far more than he was able. Think about that for a second. He accomplished far more than he was able. How's that, Boston? It was the very strength of God that empowered him to accomplish what God had called him to do. What do you want written on your tombstone? See, God wants to help you and to help me and each of us to have a life that is worthy of a legacy. Your life and my life is meant to have an overflow of the Holy Spirit, this unimaginable joy, this power to ooze out of us right here on earth. That takes me to the second of three thoughts, not many today. The second is this, Jesus turns emptiness into overflowing life. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, this thief wants to rob us of the joy of God that he has created us to embrace. Now, Jesus speaking here is talking about some people here on earth who the enemy was using to steal God's joy. But often Jesus would talk about Satan, the devil, the enemy, the thief, about what he would do to steal, kill, and destroy what he's doing in my life and your life. Have you experienced this thief? What has the enemy stolen or attempted to steal from you? What good thing in your life has he attempted to strangle or stomp out to destroy in your life? Friends, see, the good news is that Jesus came to give you life overflowing so much more beyond what the enemy could ever steal, kill, or destroy. He has an everlasting love, an overflowing love that he wants to put in you and me. That's what Jesus came to do, to overflow us with his life. So I ask you this morning, are you experiencing that overflowing fullness in your life? Look at what Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, 13. It's on the screen. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And I'll have to keep coming to, to, I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. What is it 
that you're hungering and thirsting for? Is there this overflowing water? Jesus says, I will put a water in you. There will be a spring. It will gush out of you. This abundant life overflowing. See, if you want to be filled with the things of God, if you want to be filled with the living water of God, if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, you and I have to be willing to to overflow with the Spirit, to be an outflow of the Spirit. The danger in us wanting to just get close to Jesus and sit at His feet and never ever allow it to impact anybody else is that's not what Jesus has called us to do. That's not what He's intended for us to do. He's called us to be overwhelmed with His Spirit and to be a carrier of His good news to others. Finally this morning, last thought and I'll be through. Jesus turns self-focused lives outward. Jesus turns funerals into parties. Jesus begins to fill emptiness with overflowing life. And Jesus turns self-focused lives outward. If you and I are, are really authentically experiencing Jesus, just like Peter and John said, I can't help but speak about the things that I've seen and heard. It's not just giving everybody what they want. They said, silver or gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Let your need be met. Is there anything overflowing out of you that speaks of Jesus? Now, here's what I think is going to happen in this moment. For some of us, the thief, the enemy, the devil is whispering a lie to you right now. He's getting you to think this thought. If I was a good Christian, like Pastor Brady was talking about, then I'd really want to have all this overflowing stuff, or I'd really want to go out and talk to a bunch of people today. But if I'm honest, I don't know what I want to. I want to want to, but I don't want to. I don't like hating people, but I'm not like knocking down the door to go talk to somebody either. Well, look at this. Look at this passage here that's going to talk to us. We're going to look at Acts 1, 8 in just a moment. But see, you and I, we cannot overflow until Jesus has put something into us. Before we can be overflowing, we have to be filled with Christ. So let me say it this way. If you feel inadequate because you're not sure that you can do this, you're right. You are inadequate. I am inadequate. Without being filled up of Jesus, we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to give. We have nothing to overflow. It's not in my wisdom, your wisdom, not in in our savvy, creative stories that we share. It's in what we've experienced in Jesus. So I ask you this. Acts 1.8 tells us this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What does that mean? Over the next five weeks together we're going to look at this next slide here we're going to talk about how the holy spirit wants to do something in our life waiting for the power of the holy spirit and there should be an overflow that affects you last number of months we talked about what that looks like and and i want to talk with you more if you're here today and you can't answer the question who's discipling you or who you're discipling i'd love to talk with you after service i'd love to help you put some traction underneath your feet today on that in fact, my wife, Carrie, and I are going to be here. We're going to talk about it. And whether you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, come. We'd love to talk to you about that. But there's something that should happen in us as Christians from the Holy Spirit. But friends, where God's taking us is, if that's authentic, it's real, it should overflow onto our family and to our friends. We should have a heart that thinks about them. It should overflow out of that to our community. It should overflow out of that into our world around us. See... We, we look at the Romans passage. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace, as you trust in him, so that you and I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Church, would you stand with me? Jesus, I lift up my brothers and sisters. Some here today, the takeaway for them, the aha moment for them is what this woman said on this video, that she didn't find much use in church. Lord, I think there may be someone here today, if they were just gut level honest, they they could say, you know what, I, I feel the same way. When they hear the five top reasons why people don't go to church who say they believe in God, Lord, they're sensing they could have written three or four of those down themselves. They're here because someone else in this room made them come. Lord, would you impress on their heart today that this is a safe place for them, that we love it that they are here. We want them to experience you at the level they feel comfortable. Lord, may they sense that there is something very real that you are doing here and that they can take time to Test the waters of how good you are. Lord, I think there's others of us here. We're just still a little bit aggravated at the suggestion that the way we like the temperature of the room is offensive to somebody else. It's our restaurant. It's our kitchen. They came into our place. Put on your coat. Lord, would you help us to separate the things that are of you and the things that are of our own preference? When you call us to a place, Lord, that we are willing to go to any length possible without watering down your truth or perverting your truth to help someone see you, even to the point of being on our hands and knees serving the way that you were, Jesus. Lord, I pray for the person here today that I believe you're stirring some excitement You're stirring some passion in their heart that what you've been doing, they've been sensing there's something more. They've been sensing that there's got to be something more to life. There's got to be something more than just my job. There's got to be something more than just loving on my family. There's got to be a mission or a purpose that I'm called to. God, would you help them to see that you are getting ready to send them out with the overflow of your spirit to impact hundreds around them. It's in your name, Jesus that we've listened to your word. It's in your name that we've gathered today. So Lord, as we go, would you help us to go in obedience? Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for paying attention to God's word today. As you go, find three people that you've not loved on yet. And the way that you love on people, handshake, hug, whatever it is, love on them before you go. God bless you. You're